Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Lutarski, joined today, as always, by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, you can give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can give me a follow at jakeski52. Today we're going to make our fantasy picks for the biggest fights uh, at UFC 232 this Saturday. This Saturday in Los Angeles, not in Las Vegas. We had a little bit of uh, crazy late movement here. I, I heard that news when I was driving back home for the holidays on Sunday. Uh, John, what do you think of that whole situation, and, and what was your reaction? It's a mess. Um, you know, it's you've, uh, you know the UFC has a re, you know, reputation of catering towards their bigger fighters and um, that, you know, not really thinking about the smaller guy, and I think that's what you get again here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I don't think any of this is going to have any impact on anything that happens inside the cage. You know, I mean, but you're, you know, it's it's tough for the fans. You know, you, I know Ariel Hawani on Twitter has retweeted a bunch of these stories. You know, you got people who are coming, you know, from Sweden to see Alexander Gustafsson. I know there was one from some guy who's coming from South Africa or whatever. And, you know, these people just, you know, regular normal citizens spend four or five and six thousand dollars you know to get airfare and hotel and tickets and this that and the other thing and they're essentially screwed so i mean you know people who are making the argument oh well you know they can just hop in a car and drive you know the five hours from vegas to la or you know whatever the heck it is you know it's not that easy Mm -hmm. there's a little you know there's a little more to it than that i mean we're talking holiday traffic in one of the busiest highways in the country yeah it's you know it's 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 just a logistical nightmare um and uh, it's it's really – and I kind of have a problem with – you know they're always going to cater to the bigger fighters like I said. But after everything John Jones has put this company through that they're – and I, you know, I, I really – I legitimately do believe – I don't think he did anything wrong. You know, I think it really was just you know a, a fraction. I, you know, I don't think he did anything Pico wrong. Picogram was the word that was yeah, used. It's, so like I don't, one it's grain of salt split – uh, 500 ways and one 500th of that thrown into an Olympic sized pool. Jones yeah, likes to use that analogy. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge, uh, probably unfairly. I mean, Jones has done this to me personally. I went to UFC 200 and his fight against DC was canceled the week of because he popped there. And, uh, you know, I'm a big, I'm still a big Jones sympathizer. Cause I always say like, I wouldn't be sitting here in this chair talking to you about an MMA show. If Jones didn't revitalize my interest for it when I was in college and not able to afford pay-per-views anyway, but still, found a way to buy the Jones ones. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm a sympathizer. But, yeah, I can see how all the other third-party stuff. Now, Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg, I still think, are very capable of headlining the pay-per-view. That's an awesome super fight. But at the same time, it, it'll probably do a fifth of the buys as one that has Jones on the card. Yeah, it definitely would. And he's really... Um I guess you could. I mean, he's certainly if he's not the big. I guess McGregor is the biggest draw in the sport now, but he's certainly you know right up there. And Before that's McGregor, for Jones was the biggest draw for of course. A good I, and this is and this is a guy who has rarely fought for you know mm-hmm. all the reasons in the world that we know about. So it, it's tough. Um, I just I really I like I said I don't think it's going to affect any fight in the cage, mm-hmm. but I you know I kind of I feel bad for the people who you know were laying out you know all these thousands of dollars you know for mm-hmm. birthday presents and. Christmas presents or all this stuff, and you know they kind of end up getting screwed the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's part of the sport. You know, fights get canceled, fights get made the last minute, all that kind of stuff happens. But mm-hmm. you know, I guess if we learned anything now, it's that you know anything can happen in the sport. That's a lot of Dana flexing on the state of Nevada too. Like, oh, you won't license him? Well, we'll pick up and move the whole event somewhere. Yeah, else. apparently they had. I want. I believe I read that they had the um, Andy Foster the. Uh, California chairman fly in on a private plane or something Jeez, to yeah. get this done. I mean, it was really because not only first of all, you got to not only do you have to get it done, but you know you got to find a venue that's open. If the forum you know had a concert Saturday night, that'd be the end of that. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's some luck involved in this too. Yeah, and maybe they'd have found something else. But like CSAC, the California State Athletic Commission did license Jones, and yeah, of course, this fight was scheduled to take place in Nevada. In Nevada, and yeah, a little bit of Dana flexing his muscles there, and 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 showing that he is kind of the man when he wants something like that to happen, no matter what the secondary consequences are. But 
let's move on from that. You know, we could probably do a whole show on uh, the implications of that down the line. But let's talk about the fight itself. And you mentioned that you're not thinking that any of this distraction and chaos is going to change the fight. And neither does Vegas, really, because the betting lines have been pretty stagnant. Jones is a minus 285 favorite. He's been that way since Sunday. I checked again this morning. I checked again before the show. About minus 285 across the board. Gustafson a plus 225 underdog. Again, this is for the light heavyweight championship of the world. DC has vacated that belt as he went up to heavyweight. Uh, and then you've got John Jones basically undefeated um, against Gustafson, 18-4. and four. The DraftKings salaries, Jones is priced like a favorite, 9,100. Gustafson at 7,100. I went through the betting odds. These two have fought before. It went to went the decision. Jones won a fight that was very, very close. The odds to finish on this one are minus 105. So basically a pick em once again. Um, I guess, well, is there anything that's going to change between the two of these men since their first fight? Who do you got? And can said winner finish the fight? You know, it's it's so hard. This the first fight between the two happened more than five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was September 2013, and uh, for reasons we've talked about, um, both guys have really been on different paths since then. Um, John Jones has only fought four times. Mm-hmm. He beat Cormier twice. Obviously, the second one was overturned after you know the failed drug test. But um, he's beat Cormier twice. He beat Ovin St. Preux once. And um, he beat Glover Teixeira in 2014 in Baltimore in a fight I was at, which seems like decades ago. It's hard to believe it, was all that, it wasn't all that long ago. Mm-hmm. So um, – and then you look at it on the other hand. Gustafson himself hasn't exactly fought all that much either. He's only fought five times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mostly almost well, it's been yeah. entirely really due to injuries. Yeah, the 18, um, 19 months I just looked for Gustafson. Yeah, he he had Gustafson. shoulder and hamstring injuries. He had fights scheduled that were eventually canceled. So Yep, he fought once in 2014, twice in 2015, once in 2016, and once in 2017. And by the time he steps into the cage on Saturday, he's looking at about a year and a half off. It was May 2017. So mm-hmm. he's, again, looking at a ridiculously long time on the sidelines. So I don't know how much of what we can infer from what happened in the first fight um, is going to affect what happens on Saturday. Um, I would guess that this thing goes the distance. Um, if there's one thing that happened in the first fight between the two, no matter who you think won, it's that both guys took a ridiculous amount of punishment. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Alexander Gustafson has taken punishment before. The guy's like a zombie. He, he just doesn't go down. Um, he's been knocked out once in his entire career. And considering some of the beat, and that was from Anthony Johnson quickly. Yeah. Rumble so, Johnson you know, got him like right at the beginning, and that was in Sweden. That was something yeah, that nobody that, expected. Yeah, no, that, so, can hap- that, uh, happen, that can happen yeah, to anybody. A little honestly. tune of flukiness to that one. But other than that, he's never been finished. No. there And, you know, John Jones is, and as will be the case Saturday, um, John Jones is more talented and physically gifted than anybody he steps into the cage with. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just how it is. He's the best athlete. Um, you know, he moves better. He has more ways to win. He does everything well. Um, so he has that going for him. You know, the one thing that um, I will say, and it was the reason I thought Gustafson did better in the first fight between the two than anyone else has, is that he has the type of body type that can 
match Jones. You know, maybe not you know punch for punch, but he has he's long. Um, you know, he's lean. He can fight at a distance. You know, and when John Jones is fighting Daniel Cormier. Jones can stand back. You know, exactly a foot, a foot and a half, yeah. and he can destroy Cormier with kicks. He can kill him with distance strikes. Yeah, I mean, and if Cormier wants to land anything on Jones, he has to get himself yes, right yes. in the pocket, right it's in Gus. arm's way, where Gus doesn't have to do that necessarily. No, Gus can fight similarly to Jones. Now he's going to be giving up natural athletic ability and talent because everybody is. But, uh, you know, if you can, you know, if you say, you know, Cormier DC is a heavyweight now, which I guess he is since he relinquished this title. Um, I certainly think Gus is the second best fighter in the division. Um, and I picked Jones because if for no other reason, Jones is kind of at the, uh, pick him till he loses, you know, portion of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you and me, but we both did the same thing with Demetrius Johnson, you know, it, it, for a while, you know, until the guy, until someone proves that they can beat him, you know, he's the man. And that's what we're going with. Uh, at least I'm going with here. But I will say, I, I'm kind of interested in Gustafson at 7100. That's a pretty cheap price for somebody with his skill set. And it's um, this is a little sneak preview. It's the reason in the next fight um, we're going to talk about that. I think Amanda Nunes is a good value play at 7000. Mm-hmm. You just don't get fighters of the caliber of these uh, man and woman at such cheap salaries. Now, what that tells you is. They're facing somebody ridiculously good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah. you know, somebody it's usually based on you know the betting odds and kind of their algorithm for projected ownerships and and given the circumstances, yeah, I can see why he ended up at seventy one hundred. Yeah, you know, I, I would ha- I probably would have had Gustafson in I don't know plus two hundred somewhere two ten somewhere around there. So, so not I think he's off. not terrible. I think he's a little bit. Of, I think he's a decent value, but mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I don't think this whole. Um, you know, venue change and all that nonsense is going to affect what happens in the cage. Nope. And until somebody beats him, beats John Jones, uh, you know, I kind of you look at what Daniel Cormier is doing to everybody now. Yes. And Jones dismissed him twice like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the first once fight by decision, you know, once by head kick, and yeah, you know, the first fight, you know, DC did some damage, but in the end, it was a runaway decision. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Yeah. And he's also, I, I believe, he's the only guy to stop Cormier if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um. So do you believe you know, Jones is, won the first fight? Because you'll talk to some people that say that he didn't win the first fight between. I Gustafson. have to watch it again. I obviously remember at the time it was razor thin. I thought that's one rounds for sure. He might have. It, it was, you know, you get those fights where if you score it round by round and you score the fight as a whole, you end up with a different answer. Oh, yeah. If you score it round by round, one guy might win. But then it, when you sum the whole thing up and you score it by who did more damage on the whole, you might give it to the other guy. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd have to watch it again. But, you know, Gustafson is re- really, really good. And But you also have to keep in mind, like we talked about, some of his injuries. The guy hasn't been healthy. Exactly. You know, he hasn't been on the sideline for a year and a half, you know, by choice. Mm-hmm. He's had fights scheduled, like you said. He's really struggled to, me- to get healthy. And for a guy who hasn't fought a lot and is... You know, I don't want to say he's compromised, but has dealt with a bunch of injuries. You know, this is not the guy you want to be facing. Yes, exactly. It was such a, the first fight was so good that, you know, they have to run it back. And I'm glad, you know, they're doing it now when both guys are still essentially in their prime. Gustafson's 31, what's Jones? Somewhere around there, too, I believe. Born in 87. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, you know, you got two guys who should still be in the athletic prime of their careers, regardless of what's been going all the time away. So, I think it's going to be close and competitive. I think you have to pick Jones until further notice. But, you know, I think Mm -hmm. Gustafson has some value as as an underdog play. 
Yeah, I've got a few outside of the box ways I want to think about this fight with you a little bit, but I'll just say a couple things on Gustafsson. Again, we can't, the first fight five years ago, so we can't necessarily use it as a direct comparison, but I'll say a few things. Gustafsson was the first person to ever take down Jones in the octagon. DC later did it in their first fight, but those are the only two who have ever taken down Jones in a fight. Gustafsson landed 110 significant strikes against Jones over the five-round fight. That's almost twice as much as anybody else. The the next high is DC, who actually landed 58 significant strikes in both of them. All that being said, you know, Gus has the a slight height advantage, Jones five inch reach advantage. All that being said, I think Jones takes care of business here and um I think he does it by finish in either the third or fourth round, whether it's a head kick, whether it's a TKO due to strikes. I think it's going to be one of those two in the third or fourth round. So that's going to make him a pretty decent fantasy play for me at 9,100. I think Jones is going to win that for sure. But a couple other ways that we got to think about this fight, um, I want to say, uh, first off, there's a possibility or a scenario, and you don't. we don't always advocate doing this uh, in terms of DraftKings, but Gustafson did have 60 fantasy points in a loss to Jones in the first fights. He landed 110 significant strikes and one takedown, I believe. Uh, he, he had what would be 60 fantasy points. Now they scored takedowns a little bit differently five years ago on DraftKings. They, the game's evolved a little bit. Um, but Gus still had 60 fantasy points, so there's obviously like a chance. You probably don't do this in tournaments, but maybe in cash games and your double-ups and your 50-50s, you could, the term is stack the fight, use both of them in your same DraftKings lineup. And I think that that is possibly in play in, in, in cash games because a guy at 7,100, you know, he's not going to hit 10x or whatever if he gets if he gets 50, 60 DraftKings points. But it's enough salary relief-wise to give yourself some room to add in some other favorites. So stacking the fight, at least in cash games, might be in play for me, especially because it's a five-round fight and these guys could very well both get over 100. And then that way, if you stack the fight... And something happens to Jones or he loses a decision or the judges get a little creative because they want to set up a trilogy. Not that that happens in MMA. I think it happens more in boxing, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, Just kind of some X-factor stuff. So I think stacking it is viable for me. And then the only other reason that I mention that is, again, this is mostly playing devil's advocate because I think Jones is going to win and I think Jones is going to finish. Um but the last time Jones had a pretty long layoff, remember he came back against OSP. He didn't quite look himself. He was he was hesitant, conservative. He threw a very low volume. I mean, oh, I guess it's not that low of a volume. He still uh, landed a hundred. Was credited with one hundred five significant strikes and three takedowns, four passes in that OSP fight. Didn't quite look like the same dominant Jones though. So I think if he comes out a little hesitant for any reason, I don't think he will. But there's a comparison when we talk about the last big layoff that he had and his comeback, you know, wasn't quite as crisp. And if you're not as crisp against a guy like Gustafson, that could mean problems. But again, it comes back to the hamstring and the shoulder injuries, both of which I don't know the exact diagnosis, but it was my belief that were pretty serious. They kept him off time. They stopped him from uh, competing in scheduled fights. So I still think Bones wins by finish finishes. So to like to bring this full circle, Bones wins by finish for me. And I think there are situations where you would stack this fight on DraftKings. Are you in agreement on that, or are you are you more of a pick one or the other? I it's I think it's okay. I think it's certainly a much better idea to do it in five round fights, which this is, and it's only really an option when both guys are durable. Because mm-hmm. if one guy's not, it you know when one guy finishes the other quickly, it, the whole thing is pointless. Durable and five volume strikes. I mean, those yeah. are gener- or high volume strikes. Both of them are over four significant strikes landed per minute in their UFC tenure. That's why I bring it up. Yeah, it, it's not you know it's not a terrible idea in a fight like this. Um, 
it's just a little bit of a dynamic always because if one guy happens to think quickly, you know, you're all, you're all but screwed. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, if this ends you know, in the first round to, and you stack the fight, you're toast. Right, your you're all, you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, if it so, ends in the fourth round or if it goes through a decision, that's what you're rooting for. And this, I mean, the odds to finish are minus 105. So I think it's a viable strategy in a cash game, but you're banking yeah, I mean, on getting 60 way, points from the loser. If this fight was the same as the first fight and you did it, you'd be in good shape. Exactly. Um, because of all the damage both guys did. But you're right about uh, John Jones and the Tom Wolf. He didn't look good in the OSP fight at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still won easily, which should tell you all you need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this should be a good fight. I'd, I would be kind of surprised if this is not competitive either way. I'd be surprised if either guy ran away with this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're getting it because, you know, it, lo- it looks certainly with Jones's legal issues and all that other stuff and Gustafson's yeah. health issues. You know, there was that point where there was no guarantee we'd get to see this mm-hmm. again. All so these it, fights it, are far from a guarantee yeah, at this point. It's good, it's good that we get to see it again. Last question on this and then we'll move on. If he wins, does he fight DC again? Jones? I don't think so. I don't see any reason for it. Yeah, I think it's silly, but I think DC, the competitor in him, still wants it. So there's a chance that maybe it happens. I mean, I, I would rather, I mean, not that it would be any more competitive, but I'd almost rather see him fight Lesnar or something. Not that that would, you know, be any, not that that would do anything for you yeah. from any kind of title perspective, but mm-hmm. if they're trying to just make money, which is, that's pretty clear at this point, mm-hmm. that's what they do. Yeah. Um, that might even be a better idea. Yeah. DC's got better money making options and stepping in there with bones again. I would not want to do that if I were him. But again, legacy avenging is only loss. I can see some people are wired that way, and maybe that'd be a thing. But anyway, yeah, we could. Talk. This is another. Uh, it's a great fight. We could do the whole show on this if we wanted to. But let's run down the rest of the pay per view before we hit some value plays here. Uh, under the radar with all this drama, I think uh, going on with the rescheduling is that uh, the women's featherweight championship is at stake, and we have potential. To find another two division champion the first one since dc and of course conor mcgregor a few years earlier but chris cyborg against amanda nunez cyborg is the featherweight 145 champion nunez is the 135 pound champion um the DraftKings salaries this is interesting because cyborg's a higher price than jones but she's less of a favorite than jones cyborg's 9200 nunez 7000 uh cyborg minus 255 nunez plus 235 and the odds to finish on this one uh vegas or, or the gamblers here actually like this fight to finish it's minus 195 as opposed to the bones fight minus 105 so i mean a case could be made that you got a better chance getting a finish by going maybe with cyborg than opposed to bones but it, but it's really tough i mean i guess who you're picking in this one john and uh can said woman get the finish and and what type of exposure would you be looking at i definitely think the finish is viable um if for no other reason then it's because it's probably the two hardest female punchers in the sport um mm-hmm. cyborg certainly first and you know from everything we've seen from nunez i think she's pretty comfortably second at this point um it's it's interesting because nunez Probably in order to win this fight, I think Nunez needs to try to turn this into something other than a slugfest. Um, we have seen women go punch for punch with Cyborg, and the bottom line is that it just doesn't work. Um, you know, I know she hasn't faced women during her brief UFC run with the caliber of skills that Nunez has, but Cyborg is landing over seven significant strikes a minute while eating less than two. Both of those numbers are insane. 
Mm-hmm. Um, no matter who you're facing. Yeah. This is the last fight on her UFC contract, I believe. It's my understanding. And if she doesn't fight in the UFC again after this, she will easily go down as the largest striking differential in UFC history among anyone that's had five fights with the promotion. That that There's no doubt about that. Numbers-wise, the metrics love her. No, it's 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 insane. Um, and it's really, you know, it's at the point where it's kind of difficult to pick against Nunez because she has essentially come from nowhere to turn into the best 135-pound female fighter in the world by a significant margin. It's really not close. You know, for a division, you know, the first time Nunez fought um, Ronda Rousey, no one thought she had any chance. And then she fought her again, and, you know, she, it was just, there was such a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And it's just, she's, it's really hard. I don't know if she has, as good as she's been, and her cardio has improved. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think the cardio will be good because she doesn't have the weight cut in this one. She's, yeah, no, she's someone car- that's had problems getting to the scale before, but this shouldn't be an issue here with the extra. No, her cardio's been, her cardio's been better at bantamweight, and you're right, it should be even better at featherweight. I just don't know if Nunes has the secondary skill set to beat Cyborg in something other than a brawl. And if you know you're making a bet on a, a Cyborg fight where you know it's just two women going back and forth, just punching each other, you know you've got to pick her every single time. She hits twice as hard as anybody else. So it's a, it's the same as we talked about in the Gustafson fight, at least for me. I think she's a decent value because it's really difficult to find fighters of Nunez's caliber at six at seven thousand. You know, it just doesn't happen very often. You said that we, although we said that when you know when John Jones fought Daniel Cormier the second time, you're never going to find a fighter of Cormier's caliber at that price again. Mm-hmm. And then look what happened. It's it's, it's just because they're facing yep. yeah they're facing such high caliber opponents that it necessitates such a low salary. Mm-hmm. But you know, if there was ever a fight, and you know, in general. Um, women's fights have a lower finish rate than than men's fights um, statistically. But if there was ever a fight where you thought there was a decent chance, you would think this would be it because this is just two women who hit harder than anybody in both divisions. And I think this is going to be entertaining. I don't think Nunes is going to get blown out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm going to pick Cyborg to win, but I think Nunes is going to do better than a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes until the fourth or fifth, like the championship rounds, for Cyborg to really turn it up and get the finish and maybe wait for Nunes to. Uh, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if Nunes connects on a couple of pops. You know, there's very well. Uh, the odds of that happening seem to be pretty good. A, a quick correction from earlier. I think Nunez only fought Rousey once, and, and, she, oh, yes. and she dominated Winter, her. Yes. She fought Shevchenko twice. Maybe that's what we were thinking those of. Those were both, both and those yeah. were both competitive fights. Yeah, amazing fights. And Valentina, of course, the flyaway championship now one twenty five. Nunez up to one forty five. I'm not going to say a whole lot on this one. You know, just kind of run down some of the numbers measurement wise. Uh, Nunez actually has a one inch reach advantage, and both stand at five eight. So very few uh, can actually look eye to eye with cyborg and so that so that part will be a little bit interesting um i noted earlier the i'm just kind of running through my notes here um you won't find a ton of odds value on cyborg on DraftKings, but like i said i still think that she'll get it um nunez should be fresher than she is at bantamweight of course given the extra pounds there's not really as much of a worry about her getting to the scale um so that should be fine um 
I, if I'm going to stack a fight, I would stack the Jones-Gustafson fight as opposed to this one, just because I think this one has a better chance of ending early because these women just hit so crazy hard, and the odds to finish say that. Uh, I'm picking Cyborg 2. Um, most of my GPP lineups, and this isn't just because I like to end load it, so I have more excitement on DraftKings at the end, but most of my GPP lineups, I would say I'll probably make about four or five of them in the strike. I want to I want to get a piece. They got a $10 contest that's given away 50 k for the top prize with uh, – I believe at least a hundred guaranteed. So they're they're going pretty hard on uh, on DraftKings this year. So I'm gonna get a few entries in that, and they're gonna be. I know it's not super contrarian or anything, but they're going to be built around Bones and Cyborg because Bones I think can get volume and then get the finish, and Cyborg could get an early finish. I don't see it happening that much, but eventually both of them I see taking two or three or four rounds, building up strikes, getting a takedown, and then getting a uh, a finish bonus of, I believe it's around 40, 30 to 45 points, depending on kind of when it happens in the later rounds. Uh, you know, get me 110 or so points on DraftKings, and I'll start there, and I'll pick my underdogs elsewhere. Uh, there's cases to be made in cash games, of course, but I'm definitely going Cyborg too. The picks I've received, um, say Cyborg, I would be very, very shocked if Cyborg isn't a unanimous selection when our staff picks come up. And I think that's right, but we run into this again where Nunes could be a little bit liver than most people think at 7,000, but it's not enough for me to pick her to win, and I think it's the same case with you. Yeah, it is. And, you know, this could, this is the rare card where you can certainly say that, you know, the pound-for-pound pound best male and best female fighters, you know, are both of the same card. And mm-hmm. that's really why you got two cases where their opponents, while also two of the best fighters in the world are certainly lower than you know you'll ever see them before yeah no doubt about there's actually no doubt in my mind that it's the best pound for pound man and woman in the ufc and possibly the best ever man and woman in the ufc fighting on the same cards that's pretty crazy but we spent a lot of time on these first two and uh, i think we had some good analysis and some good strategy in there but i want to move on uh to the rest of the pay-per-view card here we're going to start with the welterweight matchup between carlos condit and Michael Chiesa. Uh, Condit 7,200 on DraftKings. Chiesa's 9,000. Uh, the Vegas odds match up with those. Condit plus 155 underdog. Chiesa minus 175 favorite. Actually, I don't know if that matches up because he's a little expensive to me for a minus 175 favorite. But we'll get to that in a second. Odds to finish are minus 145, which are a little bit larger than I expected with two very intelligent, skilled fighters. Um, but for me, this whole fight frames so much different than if they were fighting three to five years ago and the only thing i'll uh i'll, I'll set up here before passing it off to you is that chiesa is moving up from lightweight he's going from 155 where he historically had really really tough cuts and he's moving up to 170 uh he knew it was time um but despite moving up both have a 75 inch reach and condit's only one inch taller so they're basically going to see eye to eye and reach out and get each other so uh chase them moving up but not much of an advantage there john who are you picking and how do you see this one breaking down well chase was massive for the lightweight division um it, it's really you look at him sometimes and it's really difficult to, uh, to believe that he was able to cut down to 155 pounds he's got six foot one and um you know it, you look at his body type and it's just hard to believe that he gets to 156 pounds um i'm i'm picking actually picking him to win here and um I really don't like going with this strategy, but I'm picking him simply because I th- I'm really worried that Condit might be done. Mm-hmm. Um, he's openly um, talked about retiring numerous times. Seems like after every time he fights um, lately, when he hasn't won, that he you know he openly contemplates retirement. Um, 
this is a guy who is four, two and seven in his last nine fights, mm-hmm. dating back to November 2012. Lost four in a row. I mean, both of these guys, yeah. very rarely do you see two fighters coming off back-to-back losses on this spot in the pay-per-view card. Yeah, you know, it's in January 2016, Condit um, fought Robbie Lawler for the welterweight championship, and he lost the split decision. It was very, very close. And it almost seems as if that might have been like the breaking point for Condit where mm-hmm. it's all been downhill since then. Since then, he's been submitted by Alex Oliveira and Damian Maya, and he dropped his decision to Neil Magny. So, um, you know, and I, I don't like when guys openly contemplate retiring and then end up coming back because then you inevitably get the questions about, you know, whether their head's in it and whether they should still be fighting and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Condit is not – he's 34. You know, he's not like super old to the point where you look at some guys and say, okay, you know, you got to go away. But he's been in so many wars – and he's fought so much over the years. And, you know, the, the Lawler fight's a perfect example, just how much damage both guys took in that fight. And I really think it's reasonable to just wonder how much he has left, both mentally and physically. Lawler's done that to a lot of people now that I think about it. I don't think Rory McDonald's ever been the same since he fought mm. Robbie Lawler. No, and you know Johnny Hendricks hasn't. Mm, yes, uh, um, I forgot about that one. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm not crazy about Kies at welterweight, you know, I think one of his biggest advantages at lightweight was the size advantage he had over guys, how much bigger and how much longer he was than a lot of his opponents. And like you said, he's not going to have that here at 170 pounds. But I'm really worried that Condit might be done. And this is weird. For two guys who have been, at least for me, for two guys who have been around as long as these two guys have, I would actually kind of try and stay away from this fight. Mm-hmm. Um there seems to be a wide, at least to me, a lot wide range of outcomes that where that how this could go. Like you said, you got KS moving up to a new weight division. You got Condit who struggled lately, and you don't know how you know how much if his head's in it. So you know we have a lot of evidence of you know we have a lot of background on both of these guys, and I still don't think this is a great you know great fight to go after. And mm-hmm. I'm not really enthused with either guy's price. You know, I, Condit's been so bad lately. I don't even think he's usable at 7200 and you know kiss in a new weight class um 9000 seems like a lot for him yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not with you there. thrilled about either guy yeah if you you know we do optimizers and stuff for a lot of uh you know dfs and whatnot on our site and if you ran an mma optimizer based on odds value which hint hint i'm going to try to work on that for 2019 maybe more updates to come but if you ran an optimizer based on a minus 175 favorite at 9000 he'd appear in zero optimal lineups like he's too close of losing to be a a 9,000 or over fighter. Um, all that being said, I'm with you, John. I'm picking Chiesa for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned. Just the trajectory that Condit's on is far from encouraging. And yeah, Condit could win. He could bounce back. He could say he's back, whatever. Um, he could just easy, easily lose and retire again. But not only is it the trajectory for me, um, because Chiesa doesn't have that great a traje- trajectory either. Lost to Kevin Lee and lost to Anthony Pettis uh, in back-to-back fights. Uh, you know, very, two very respectable fighters, but back-to-back losses nonetheless. It's more of the style for me. And looking at the numbers here, Condit does have an edge in the significant strikes landed per minute and in striking differential. Chase actually has a negative striking differential throughout his UFC tenure. But the numbers where Chase should have an advantage is in the grappling. Chase a 2.87 takedowns per 15 minutes, Condit just 0.59. But the shattering one for me is Condit's takedown defense is 37%. Um, yeah, it's not good. We generally say if someone's takedown defense is below 
say 60%, we would call that bad, all right? And we're at 37% here. It's just it's just not good. Now, granted, some of that he, he faced people that were of kind of equal size and strength. Uh, you know, Maya does that to a lot of people. Uh, Magni can do that. Of course, that's what Oliveira wants to do. Um, so some of it is, you know, he's faced people that were maybe bigger than him and the physical strength this came into mind. But I think Chiesa, so this is going to be kind of a... It's on the pay-per-view because of the name recognition, but I see this being a little bit of kind of a boring fight. Um, I think Chase is going to take him down and ride him out, maybe get some ground strikes in there. Um, you know, the odds to finish say minus one forty-five, and maybe Chiesa can submit him because Condit has been submitted in two of his last three fights, both by chokes. So maybe Chiesa can get that going. But I just have a really hard time seeing Chiesa hit value in this one. So I very much agree with you, John, in a sense that this is a fade fight for me. I'm not going to use either of these guys in my lineups. Now, if I were one of those guys making 100 lineups, maybe I'd put Condit in two and Chiesa in six. You know, something like that, just so I can get at least a little bit of exposure uh, to these guys. But, you know, for someone like me that's going to make, you know, five to 10, 20 lineups max on a, on any given night, um, I just can't use Chiesa in this one. And, and even though I'm picking him, we're both picking him. I think he's going to come in pretty highly when the staff picks comes around. It's just it's just not that great of a DraftKings play to me. I know they, you know, when the the rule changes, it's almost two years now where they give some more emphasis to grappling. That helps the case a little bit and maybe makes him viable, but he would need to be at 8,600 or less for me to really think about having exposure. The 9,000 tag is just too much. Yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, to be perfectly honest, it's really not that great a fight. Um, it's one of those fights that where if you would have said three, you know, three, four years ago, Oh, everybody, you know, this could be the co-main event of pay-per-view now, you know, not so much. Like you said, the position on the card um, for this one is simply name recognition only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's another one. I know we've been agreeing on a lot of these lately, and I promise we'll get a little bit of uh, a conflict towards the end here. Well, we got a light heavyweight matchup here: Lear Latifi and Corey Anderson. Uh, Latifi eighty nine hundred, Anderson seventy three hundred. I meant I was talking about not a whole lot of odds value lately, and we're getting that again. Latifi for eighty nine hundred is just a minus one fifty five favorite, while Anderson is plus one twenty five. There's been some slight movement towards Anderson. The odds to finish is basically a pick 'em minus one fifteen. Uh, these are light heavyweights, so if something even stupider happens with Jones between now and Saturday, I would imagine one of these guys will jump in and fight Gustafson. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Corey Anderson, God, that'd be such a downer. That would be such a downer. I know I should. I'm, I'm knocking on wood everywhere oh, right that'd now. Be terrible. That would be so awful. But I mean, at least they have a light heavyweight event on the card. You know, after they move the thing, that would just be a horrible look for the UFC. But anyway. We got, uh, this is a pretty decent lightweight fight. I mean, you have a lot of these guys, you mentioned it in your article on, on the site, which definitely check that out if you if you don't already. It's a free column, uh, always good stuff in there. But you mentioned in the site that these kind of light heavyweight, middle tier guys, especially without DC, they just kind of rotate around and fight each other, but nobody really excels. Um, but in this one, do you think the big favorite in Latifi can cash in? Can he hit value? Can he finish? And uh, like, what type of exposure level level would you be having? Yeah, so just to brief sum up what I wrote in the article, essentially there's a half dozen guys or so, Latifi, Anderson, Patrick Cummins, John Vellante, Misha Serkinov, Ovin St. Peru. Yeah, all they do, I mean, I'm sure this isn't exactly how it is, but it sure seems this way. All these guys do is just fight each other, just nonstop. It's like one giant tournament 
in the light heavyweight division. And nobody accomplishes anything. One guy wins one fight, then he loses the next fight. Next guy loses a fight, then he wins a fight. So nobody is able to win two or three or four in a row to the point where they can turn themselves into a contender. And I honestly think that's kind of what you're looking at here. Um, yeah, the winner here doesn't necessarily get an immediate no, title I don't, shot. No. I don't think they're deserving he probably of it. Just gets the fight. Somebody probably just gets another fight with one of those guys in that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just, uh, before you go on, I want to interject here and like to further prove your point because it's light heavyweight. I looked at common opponents, and you can't. And the whole point is that you can't really get much out of this. They both fought Jan Blakowicz. Okay, uh, uh, Anderson beat him by decision. Um, Latifi KO'd Blakowicz in, in round one. They both fought OSP. OSP knocked out Anderson in the third round, but OSP was submitted by Latifi in his last fight. They both fought John Volante. Anderson, John Volante knocked out Corey Anderson, but Latifi won a decision here. So, like, from these common, common opponents, there's no transitive property. We don't know anything. They win a fight, lose a fight, win a fight, lose a fight, and they all just kind of get stuck in limbo. So, you put it exactly right, and that's kind of what made me want to look at this research. Yeah, there's just, you know, there's, I pick Latifi to win. Um, I'd probably pick Anderson if you said take one guy based upon his salary. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, but there's just, again, there's just not a whole lot going on here. Um, Latifi is 35 years old. So any run he, you know, this whole, you know, going in circles with the same opponents thing isn't going to work for him all that much longer if he wants to ever make a run. Um, he's running out of time. Um, Anderson is the better wrestler and he's the better athlete. Latifi is certainly stronger. He's stronger than pretty much every guy in the division. So he certainly has that edge. Um, it's weird. Uh, if this turns into a kickboxing match, I have a really hard time seeing Corey Anderson winning because virtually all of his offense comes from top position when he scores takedowns. Mm-hmm. So if these two, you know, end up strength too wrestling, it, it is, it is. And so if you say that Anderson is the better, you know, technical wrestler, you know, background wise, Latifi is certainly stronger. Mm-hmm. Anderson's four inches taller and has a five inch reach advantage, but his style of fighting doesn't lend itself to using that, you know, those, that, advantage you know into play he doesn't i you know the only guy who i could say that for a good example here is stefan struve as tall as struve is his style of fighting does nothing for a guy who stands seven feet tall he doesn't stand at distance and you know use his legs to throw a bunch like we were talking about john jones earlier how john jones beats everybody up because he's bigger and longer than everybody that's how struve should fight every time that's how anderson should fight in this fight given his the edge he has but he's not gonna because that's not what he does mm-hmm. so you know you're really going with you're really trying to decide between anderson's athleticism and his background in wrestling versus Latifi's background in wrestling and his and his overall upper Just, body yeah. strength. Overall strength. So yeah. he's got a neck I, like Yoel Romero if you can yeah, picture he's that. He's done. He's huge. So I mean I guess this is a polite way of, uh, for both of us to say and a long way for both of us to say that there's not a whole lot going on here. Neither mm-hmm. guy is a really exceptional play. I don't really think Latifi's usable at that salary because he just, you know, struggles mm-hmm. with consistency. But then again, so does Anderson. So again, much like the last fight, 
if you're one of those people who makes 100 lineups, okay, throw Anderson in five, throw Latifi in three, and just get on with your day. Yeah, exactly. You might need to use Anderson in more than five because the 7,300 salary is pretty cheap. And you kind of look at the yeah, statistics. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. You kind of look at the, stat- uh, the stats here. Corey Anderson, 4.55 significant strikes landed per minute, 5.48 takedowns per 15 minutes. So they don't, they don't call him Corey Overtime Anderson for nothing because – he he stays pretty active in these fights. So for that reason, I can see the appeal at 7,300. But when I'm with you, John, when it came down to staff picks and like, okay, you got to pick one of these fighters. All right, Anderson's best strength is wrestling. And that also happens to be Latifi's best strength. If you told me Anderson did his whole camp based on kickboxing and Muay Thai and was going to stand at a distance to try to pepper him, maybe, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to go in for takedowns, and I think Latifi is going to dominate in the clinch. And you're going to—it's not going to be the quite the size difference that you see when in like a DC Bones fight, but I think Latifi can land power shots in the clinch, probably like a little uppercut in the clinch, kind of how DC gets so much torque with those punches. That's kind of what I think of when I visualize how this fight's going to end. It'll be an uppercut or an elbow or something like that, and. My pick would be Latifi to probably finish, um, but I'm right there with you when I'm saying that 8,900 is probably a little bit too much to uh, have heavy exposure on DraftKings. I mean, some exposure when we get into the 100 lineup territory, but heavy exposure probably isn't doing it for me, John. No, because, you know, then Latifi will win, and then he'll go out next time in a fight he's supposed to win, and he'll lose. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much just – both guys are like that. It's yeah. pretty much just flip a coin, and yeah. um, it's – you know, obviously I think, you know, the Vegas odds are probably about right – but the salaries are a little high. Mm-hmm. And like I noted, the money did move towards Anderson. And I do kind of want to take back one thing I said earlier about the winner not getting a title shot. I mean, Latifi beat Tyson Pedro and Ovin St. Prue. And if he gets his third win in a row over Anderson, he's probably one of the better title shot guys in that conversation. I mean, maybe if Anthony Smith were to get a, uh, another win or something like that. Actually, no, maybe he lost. I'm mixing that up. But um, anyway, the point is that maybe he could get a title fight, but I'd pick both Bones and Gustafson over Latifi in, the, in a head-to-head matchup in a heartbeat, and I think you would do the same. So um, that's yeah. That. If either of these, if either of these guys end up in the title fight um, next year, it is going to be on the short list of worst title fights in 2019. <laughs> right on. Well, here we got uh, the opener of the pay-per-view card. We got a featherweight matchup between Chad Mendez, recently returned from suspension. Chad Mendez uh, going up against Alexander Volkanovsky. We got an old vet wrestler against an up-and-coming striker with very formidable wrestling. Uh, Vegas and DraftKings like Mendez. 8,700 for Mendez, 7,500 for Volkanovski. Uh, betting odds are a little bit tighter than that. Mendez at minus 160, Volkanovski at plus 140. Odds to finish, I keep seeing plus 100, minus 105. So we'll just call finish a pick em. Finishes a coin toss here. Um, they measure up, same height at 5'6". Volkanovski's got the 5-inch reach advantage here. How do you see this one playing out, John? This is, at least for me, this is infinitely more interesting than either of the last two fights. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really good. You got a guy in Mendez who has been one of the best fighters in the division for a long time. And then you got Volkanovski, who's certainly one of the division's up-and-comers. And, and uh, this fight breaks down pretty simply. Um, you're really just trying to figure out if Volkanovski has the takedown defense to stay on his feet. Um Chad Mendez hasn't fought much lately. His uh, his the you know the drug violation spent about two and a half years on the sideline before returning in July. Knocked out Miles Jury in about two and a half minutes. I lost money um, on that fight. I definitely I was in Vegas for that fight while that was happening. I think they were in Idaho, and I, I it's like yeah, too long of a layoff for Mendez. Yeah, Jury's re- Jury's really good, and Mendez just starched him like yeah, he, you know. Not so much. But you know that's just not a all vicious that. shot, powerful, which you don't normally expect from Mendez. 
No, Mendes, uh, but Mendes is one of those guys who, you know, you can tell lives in the gym. So it really shouldn't have been all that surprising that he came back from his time off and was ready to go. Um, but like I said, the real question in this fight is whether Volkanovski can handle Mendez's takedown attempts. Um, Mendez nails north of four takedowns every 15 minutes, which is mm-hmm. that's a heavy-duty number. Also sports and, 100% takedown defense, so one of the best pure wrestlers in the entire roster. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, Volkanovski's takedown defense is 50%, which like we said earlier— um, you said, you know, if you're below 60, that's bad. If you're an elite fighter, I would venture, I would even go as far as say, if you're, you know, a high end fighter and you're below, I'd even say 70, mm-hmm. that's bad. Um, but you know, it's a small sample size for a guy who hasn't been with the company that long. So, mm-hmm. um, this is really for me, it's, it's Mendez's, you know, long-term track record. The guy obviously ha- you know, has a, a track record of success against, what we're going to see from Volkanovski moving forward. And he's Volkanovski is quite good. You know, I, I think he's legit, but um, I think you he's might have an think, absolute tear. He's 18 and one. He hasn't lost since 2013 in the Australian fighting championship. Oh yeah. He, he's quite excellent. And he's only 30 years old. So he certainly should be entering the prime of his career, but um, you know, no disrespect to Darren Elkins and Jeremy Kennedy and someone named Shane Young and Mizuta Hirota. Um, they're not Chad Mendez. So um, I think this might be one of those instances. I, you know, I think this might be one of those instances where kind of like the Jerry fight a little bit where Mendez puts forth an exceptional performance and then everybody looks back on it and just goes, wow, this guy's great. How the hell did we under, you know, how do, how do we forget about this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, why, how, how the, this is one of the top guys in the division. Um, so I could certainly see, Mendez paying off at 8700 I would all day long, 100 times out of 100, put Mendez in my lineups at 8700 before Michael Chiesa at 9000 or Latifi at 8900 or, you know, whoever you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one where, you know, I've been guilty before of getting too all in on the up-and-comer, getting enamored with the highlight reels and stuff like that. And sometimes I forget that Mendez... He only has four professional losses, two to Jose Aldo, one to Conor McGregor, and one to Frankie Edgar, all in the conversation of the top five featherweights of all time. You know, a little bit of recency bias in there. Um, but this is one for me that I would have liked to watch a little more film before seeing this podcast or before recording this podcast. But what I've seen from Volkanovsky, and again, the opponents haven't been the same caliber, but he has been so dominant you know you can say the same thing uh, for someone like Kamaru Usman until recently where he's been ridiculously dominant over some of these opponents and a lot of them didn't have big names but I think he's a guy that's ready to excel at the highest level and I think Volkanovsky is too um, a couple things there's great odds value on this fight he's 7500 and he's you know I got him at plus 140 here but that's kind of a consensus I look across 910 sports books here and I think if you really if you're out there in Vegas and you're really doing your research you might be able to find Volkanovski at of course you want him at plus 140 uh, but I've seen him go as low as plus 125 and I think that money might move a little bit more I'm very curious to track the odds value on this one but for me I know Volkanovski doesn't have necessarily the takedown defense and he hasn't fought a wrestler of the caliber of Mendez. I think he'll be quick on his feet and try to run away. He's one of those fighters that, like you said, 30 years old, he's up and coming. He realizes now that this is going to be his time to get people's attention on a national stage as opposed to, you know, maybe 
fighting on fight night prelim cards and and getting a little bit of attention a couple people noticing how good he is this is a chance for a lot of people to notice how good he is and i think he is very very good 6.09 significant strikes per minute compared to 2.76 for mendez i don't want to go on it too crazy but this as far as the main card uh, this is my only upset pick on the main card and i'm going to go volkanovsky and you know maybe i'm I'm seeing the salaries a little bit. Seventy five hundred is pretty cheap. You can do a lot with this one. I might be the only one in the staff picks that that does this, but I'm fully on the Volkanovski hype train, and I think that he can do it with his hands. Am I nuts? No, you're not. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, I was on the Usman train from the start. I was on the Robert Whitaker train from the start, and those have worked. And uh, I could easily see myself being on the Volkanovski train starting in his next fight. But uh, mm-hmm. here, I'm just going to take the reliability of Mendez. But this is a this is a good fight. And certainly after the two title fights, this is 100% the fight I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. You know, third on the main card. It's, it's considerably better than the previous two fights you talked yeah. about. I'm most definitely getting home early on Saturday night, as early as possible, because this fight kicks it off. Well, actually, I don't know, the last couple, they've shuffled it around on the pay-per-view a little bit, but this fight kicks it off, and there's some pretty badass prelim fights, too, that I'm excited for, and I guess we'll jump right into the value play portion to see if we like any uh, any maybe underdogs or anybody that can return value on their DraftKings salary, and I know you got one, but I'm going to do mine first, because we started getting into it a little bit before the show, and then we kind of had to be like, okay, save it, save it here, but man, John... I I know Megan Anderson lost her last fight against Holly Holm, and she was actually pretty dominated against Holly Holm. Um, but to me, Holly Holm's not the same fighter that Kat Zingano is. Holly Holm is a tier above someone like Kat Zingano, and Megan Anderson is plus one thirty in the betting odds, and that's going to go further when they when they face off because Anderson is way taller with a way higher reach. As uh, you know, Zingano is a former. Um, uh, she spent a lot of her career fighting at bantamweight. But Megan Anderson's only seventy six hundred. Um, she couldn't do it against Holly, but I think there might be a reasonable chance she can finish this one with strikes, especially the Holly Holm fight, in my mind, made it crystal perfectly clear that she, her main focus needs to be working on that takedown defense, especially when she's fighting someone like Kat Zingandu, who's going to press forward with the wrestling constantly. So for me... um I think there's too much recency bias. A lot of people saw her on that pay-per-view against Holly Holm. Didn't perform so well. I think she can turn things back around and start to become a pretty good force in the UFC. She was a highly regarded prospect. The loss was a bump in the road. I think they gave her a little too much too fast. Not to knock Kat Zingano, but I think Kat Zingano's uh, manageable compared to Holly Holm. Do you agree or disagree? I disagree. And the only reason is I don't, I don't think Anderson can wrestle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm on record as saying I would not pick Kat Singano against anybody of note anymore. Um, I'm just Zingano is not, certainly not the most technical striker in the world, and you're right. Anderson has a huge height and reach advantage, and um, is certainly the far more accomplished kickboxer of the two. But we have seen Kat Singano many, many times literally just put her head down and just sprint across the cage going for takedowns. Um, there's no real technicality to it. It's nothing fancy. It's going to cost um, It's going to cost it. it. I don't know. I, maybe Anderson I've, isn't the one to do it, I guess. I can see where you're coming from. I just I, I this could be, I just see this as one of those things where Zingano grabs a hold of her and Anderson just has no idea what to do and just ends up on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know. And, I mean, for all you – say what you want about Kat, and she certainly struggled – 
and I think she's what is she? I think she's 36 now. Um, she's still strong. Yeah, that's I mean, all. That was always one of her biggest assets. Cat did she, beat Misha Tate on the Ultimate Fighter finale, and she did knock out Amanda Nunes in September 2014. You know? She did. I mean, there with an ass. I mean, you know, Cat was getting obliterated in the early portion of that Nunes fight, and um, mm-hmm. I managed to hang on and eventually finish it. Yeah. But um, I I don't really know how good Megan Anderson is. Um, I know there was a lot of hype, but. You know, you saw what, like you mentioned, you saw how bad she was in the Holly Holm fight. And then you, it's scary to think that, you know, for a while the fight was going to be her and Cyborg. If she looked like that against Holm, imagine what she would look like against Cyborg. She'd be dead. Cyborg would take her down and pulverize her. Wouldn't even worry about doing it on the field. No, she wouldn't have. She's the takedown so. defense. And it's not like Anderson, what does she train out of? Glory MMA. What did I just see? Glory MMA and fitness. Uh, she's yeah. an Aussie. Um, yeah, I know she spent. I believe she spent some time. I want to say she spent some time in Kansas City, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe that right. changed. Look, maybe uh, you know she's. This is kind of like a little bit like the Volkanovski thing for me, where I need to see her do it before I can really get behind it. Mm-hmm. That being said, I would probably pick Volkanovski before in a lineup before I used Anderson. But mm-hmm. you know, I I do acknowledge that she's facing a fight an opponent in Zagano who certainly is well past the prime of her career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the way I'm thinking of it is you got a fighter in Megan Anderson on the upswing, um, and then maybe someone in Zingano that you could say, okay, so Zingano won her last fight. She broke a three-fight losing streak to beat uh, 41-year-old Ketlin Vieira. I believe that was another one I want some money on in Vegas because I was I was on Cat for that fight. Not going to be on Cat for this fight. I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't use Cat at her salary, but I think Megan Anderson makes an attractive-ish upset play because i think i think there's at least a slight chance that she can use some of the other physical advantages and striking advantages to potentially get the stoppage and that's the kind of differentiation you need in gpp but we don't need to talk about this one anymore do you got any any good value plays john uh i'll give you a couple um first one is uh the extraordinary gentleman as we were talking about earlier which is one of the greatest nicknames ever um and that would be bavon lewis against uriah hall um Lewis is seventy nine hundred. Uriah is eighty three hundred. Um, the odds are a pick them on that one, so there's good odds value. That's one that I didn't. know. Yeah, I mean, if you know anybody who's followed MMA for any, um, you know, significant amount of time, knows that Uriah Hall, relative to his physical gifts, is one of the uh, greatest underachievers in the history of the sport. Uriah Hall has championship caliber physical gifts and really just struggles to i don't know dana white said before the guy just can't he's such a nice guy and even he said he's such a nice guy he just has problems getting angry mm-hmm. and he has problems fighting he's um, lost four of his last five and these aren't joke names by any means Paulo no. costa who's an up-and-coming yeah. jagard musasi Derek brunson robert whitaker i mean these are he did even beat jagard musasi by a, a flying knee tko not too long ago i mean so hall's had his moments he's fought some elite guys but you know when you get on that kind of a losing streak or, or stretch, you kind of got to go to fight one of these intro guys to start reestablishing yourself. And, and, and you're liking the odds value here going with the underdog. Yeah, I am. Or, you know, it's just uh, Hall's always, he's always been a guy who's had problems putting multiple strong performances together. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's really hard for him to get on any kind of streak, you know? And if you look at the streaks he has had in his career, 
they've mostly been against nobodies. Once the competition has increased, Hall's really had a hard time. So um, that's one. And the other one that I thought was a decent value relative to the salary was um, Brian Kelleher at 7,800 against Montel Jackson, who's at 8,400. Kelleher is pretty good. You know, uh, not, you know, not a stud in the bantamweight division, but, you know, a fellow Long Islander. Um, lost his last fight to John Lineker. You know, that happens. A lot of people lose to John Lineker. And he's facing an opponent in Montel Jackson who um, is a Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series product. Dropped his only UFC, official UFC fight to Ricky Simon in August via decision. So that was one where I looked at it. I thought the odds were a little off. Salary's a little off. I would have said that's more like a pick 'em. Instead, Jackson's 8,400, Kelleher's 7,800. Nice. So I thought Kelleher was a potential value there. Right on. I, I can definitely see that, you know, getting the pieces of the early part of the card. Uh, definitely don't be turned off by the prelims if you want to be able to win on DraftKings. And oh, this it, is a good prelim. Mm-hmm. In that uh, in that same – yeah, even the fight – that's one thing. A lot of people, like, will, will play DraftKings, and I can understand this if you're a casual fan, be like, oh, I'm only going to pick the fights I want to watch because I want it to be cool. But, like, if you want a chance, you got to hunt some of these stoppages on the prelims. And another one I wanted to highlight here – and this is an odds value thing for me. I actually think – I like Curtis Millinder long-term, and I think he can beat Sayer Bahadurzada. But if you're not watching tape and looking at numbers purely, uh, Bahadurzada, he's plus 130. I see him as low as – let's see, what do I got here? I see him – plus 120 in two different sports books and he's 7400 so for someone that close to pick him to be you know 800 below the the split point or you know uh, i should say 700 below the split point uh numbers like him i like curtis millinder's physical skills a little bit more and i think he can get it done but if you need an underdog and are picking between a couple um i think he's viable at least and if you do need an underdog we advocate not using andre arlovsky or bj penn <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. I this is one where uh, you know casual fans are going to play this and be like, "BJ Penn, he's so cheap. Uh, he's going to get rocked by Ryan Hall." BJ Penn is he? BJ Penn is doneer than done, and um, Arlovsky is right there with him. Yeah, Arlovsky is right there with him. But I keep saying that about Arlovsky, and then he he manages to like sneak out and burn me in some of these fights. I'm just going to go call up his history real quick um arlovsky okay so back-to-back losses but i was also picking against arlovsky against stefan struve and junior albini um both those guys and uh look at the quality of opponent there i mean they're just it's Mm -hmm. not good yeah arlovsky actually went to the distance with tai tuivasa and barely and then he lost to shamil abdurakimov i mean it's um what do we got here five six seven he's lost seven of his last nine fights here so he's not he's not good yeah i mean i wouldn't pick him against walt harris he's what he's he'll be 40 years old in february it's Mm-hmm. It's time. And you got Walt Harris, who's got, he's 35, but uh, if you just look at these men at weigh ins, um, it's. Walt Harris is about in. a thousand times more athletic yeah, than Yeah, And it's pretty clear who the better physical condition uh, person is when you kind of look at the two of them. So yeah. Watch, Arlotsky's uh, going to win. So Yeah, of course he's going to win because that's how this, this kind of crap works sometimes. Yeah, so but. we know. So, you know what? Put them in your lineup, guys. <laughs> yeah, help. go for it. Um, but but yeah, I mean these heavyweight fights, you generally want a piece of them because I'm looking at they the tend odds to end early. Here. Minus one eighty, yeah. But it's such a crapshoot. You know, you, I like having a little more control over my lineups than that. But sometimes, sometimes, hey, you got to do it here. But uh, hopefully, we were able to help you out with some analysis, some underdog plays, and how we see the main fights going down. Um, 
Man, it's been a great run. I can't wait for this card, John. I'll, I'll just kind of wrap it up here by saying thanks again to all of our listeners. Uh, you can follow John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me, Jake Letarski, at jakeski52. Um, another good follow on Twitter is at MMA. Basically, as soon as we hit submit on a player update, the thing gets automatically tweeted, so you can be the first to know. Uh, right up, along with any competitors, I'll stack it up. Our breaking news team is awesome, and our fight recap team is awesome, so it's a good follow if you're unable to watch the fights and want to check out uh, the results live as they happen along with a little bit of analysis the stuff links back to our site none of that stuff's behind a paywall so we keep it here free for you as is john's preview um that is free i'll be posting staff picks tomorrow morning if i can obviously we got our picks in but i got before more people i got to hunt down to get picks out of so we'll be doing those tomorrow morning uh more housekeeping fight at q they do a little live q a video breakdown that's gonna happen at its regular time despite the holiday week they're gonna do that friday at 8 p.m eastern so so joe and sean and chris are gonna answer questions and do their DraftKings picks as well um they'll do there's from top to bottom a little different setup than how we like to do it but i think both of them in conjunction is is the great way to prepare yourself for a good card on DraftKings. and last but not least go to rotowire.com slash free for a free 10-day trial of course all of our mma stuff is is free um but if you want to say for example the one exception is like the our optimizer right now where you can enter custom projections and have it generate a bunch of lineups it's a great lineup building tool and in addition to that i mean dfs for all sorts of sports even the ones that you would think don't have any kind of content out there i run college hoops we got everything from EuroLeague to wnba to nascar to everything when it comes around to tennis uh, big soccer week all that we can help you out so just my quick plug for the site thanks again for listening uh get at us on twitter if you have any questions check out rotowire.com most importantly though enjoy the show thanks again for joining me john all right guys have a happy new year we will end on that this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.